All right, good morning again, family. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, just quick housekeeping. If you are not able to uh, discern just from looking at me, I am a black preacher. Um, there are prerequisites to listening to black preachers, and one of them is the response to my call. So if I say amen, then I'm looking for a there we go. That's all. That's all I want. Welcome to Black Church, everybody. God bless you. God bless you. So I don't have a lot of time. Um, I have 25 minutes to preach through about 44 verses. That is an impossible feat. Uh, I'm going to cheat some stuff. I'm just letting you know right from the beginning. But I will be as solid as possible. So I would love to just catch up and kick jokes and uh, pick on people. I see Pastor Matt and Ms. Karen here, good to see you guys. I see a bunch of other friends and family, so I'm not going to call out names. There's a bunch of people. I see people are smiling at me. It's good to see your faces. Let me get into the text before I'm here for seven minutes, and I only have 15 minutes left to talk. All right, I want to talk really quickly about cruises. Cruises. Uh, statistics show that in 2019, a record 29.7 million people went on a cruise. 29.7 million. And Right after that, something crazy happened and the, the numbers just plummeted, right? 2020, nobody was cruising. It went down to like 5 million or something like that. Uh, of that number, of the 29.7 million that went in 2019, the largest age group that cruised that year was 60 to 69-year-olds. They went on about 19% of all cruises that year. My age demographic, the 30 to 39-year-olds, uh, we were one of the least active cruisers at about 11%. I understand very clearly that my age group are idiots. We just don't get it. Pay attention to the people who are retired. They're the ones who know how to live life. But we didn't get it. Anyway, if you've never been on a cruise, here's what you need to know. And I'm going to give you an exhaustive list. Uh, maybe this is going to take up about 10 minutes of my time, but it's worth it. Listen to me very clearly. This is what I need you to know about cruises. Cruises are amazing. Cruises are amazing. Is there anybody who agrees with me about that? Cruises are amazing? No? Listen, all right, so I get it. Let me, let me preface. Um, the current views expressed do not necessarily reflect the leadership of Stonehill Church of Princeton. <laughs> Cru cruises are amazing to me, all right? Is that better? I love cruises. Um, it's just a great time. I know that for some people it's not so much. Some people have motion sickness and things of that nature. Some people have uh, thalassophobia, that's the fear of large bodies of water. Me personally, I have a hard time being afraid of something that it takes me too long to pronounce. Uh, so by the time we get to the first syllable, I'm out of there. I don't have time to be afraid of you. You're taking too long to introduce yourself to me, fear. Uh, my family and I, we went on a Disney cruise in 2018, and it was incredible. It was for our 10-year anniversary. The food was great. The shows were great. The destinations that we experienced were great. The activities for our children, it was honestly incredible. It was incredible. I loved every moment of it. Uh, pro tip, if you're on a cruise, especially a Disney cruise, uh, when you're having dinner, like the dinner's really good. They give you all kinds of great food, Okay. What I didn't know was that if you want seconds, you can ask for it, and they'll give it to you. I was sitting down, a guy next to me, we had filet mignon, and he's like, I'll take another steak, and I'm like, you can do that? <laughs> so needless to say, I went and got another steak as well. So that's a pro tip for you. You're welcome, because I'm just that kind of guy. You're welcome. So here, uh, for me, the cruise was an amazing thing. Uh, it was one of my favorite trips. Everything was right there where you needed. It was an amazing way to find rest. I mean, 
it was activities, it was water slides, it was islands, and, and without having to do too much, it was all right there for me. So for me, it was perfect. It was amazing. But here in the 27th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, uh, we see Paul getting on a boat. Uh, not quite a cruise, but Paul is getting on a boat of his own. Um, and it's absolutely nothing like my experience. In fact, if I was Paul, I would have left a very, very sharp review of my, treat, my trip there. I would have said something like, uh, I was treated like a prisoner. Uh, there was no food served for several days. Uh, I gave suggestions and it was rudely ignored. And then to top it all off, at the end of the trip, they tried to kill me. They tried to kill me. Zero stars would not recommend. Yelp, Google, everybody. And so Paul's here. He's going through a lot. Uh, he's going to stand trial for a crime that he has not committed and he actually has requested to go and see Caesar, which is well within his right as a Roman citizen. So here he is en route. Uh, and what I want us to notice from Paul's experience here is his commitment to, even in the midst of chaos, rest in the promise, protection, and provision of God in his life. Even in the midst of all of the chaos that's going on, Paul is still resting in the promise, protection, and provision of God in his life. And so I'd like to share three ideas to that end and hopefully encourage us this morning. Uh, we already read some of the passage here, so I'll just pick right up. The chapter picks up detailing that Paul, Luke, and a few others are headed to Rome. Uh, and something that I don't want us to miss as we detail all of the seemingly more important goings-on here in verse 3. Uh, it says that Julius the centurion says he treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. The specifics of the care are not documented here, but what we do know is that Paul received kindness. Somebody say kindness. Oh, that's great. And, and, and care. Somebody say care. So he received kindness from the centurion and then care from his friends. Such a big deal. That's so important because both are major evidences of God's providential grace to Paul. Please don't miss that. Paul has already been enduring a rough time, and things are about to get worse. But here, we see God gifting Paul something to help him endure his coming suffering. Do we, do we see that God is a preemptive God? He's never caught off guard. We shouldn't ignore the seemingly mundane because maybe this joy that you're experiencing in this season is not just for this season. Maybe it's a little extra oomph that you need so that you can make it through the next season without having to break down because maybe you feel like you're depleted a bit. Rest in what God gives you moment by moment. A God does the same thing for us. Life is not without suffering. If you're a new believer here, if you recently placed your faith in Christ, please let no one deceive you. Things are not about to be flowers and candy for you, right? You will experience difficulty. You will experience hardship. This journey, as you traverse this world, it will be difficult. But I also want to remind you or maybe even share with you for the first time something that our Lord Jesus said. It was over in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. He says, you will have suffering in this world. But then he says, be courageous. And he says, I have conquered the world. What an encouraging message. I've told you these things so that you may have peace, but... Regardless of all of the things that you experience, be courage, be courageous, because I have overcome the world. Our faith is not in ourselves, it's in Jesus. If we have to rely on ourselves to make it to the next step, 
Sure, there's much reason to have fear and doubt. But if we're relying on Jesus, we see by his example, he's overcome the world. Amen and hallelujah. Amen. So I would say, don't take for granted the day-by-day and moment-by-moment graces of God. He's intentional. Nothing's ever done without purpose. Enjoy the gifts of friends and family because you just don't know how long they'll be around and you don't know what's in store for you next. Don't take these things for granted. The most precious resource in the world is relationships. Don't take them for granted. Don't take them for granted. We use things and we value people, right? Not the other, not the other way around. Don't take it for granted. Okay, so now picking up right here in verse 9, Paul gives some advice. He warns them that the trip is headed to, the way, to disaster. He says, listen, uh, things are about to go pretty bad. I recommend that you do this. Don't go this way. Do this. Do that. Uh, and rather than heeding Paul's warning, the centurion instead, he listened to the captain. The centurion here, he chose to follow the advice of an expert rather than Paul who was speaking under the influence of Elohim. And uh, that leads me to my first point. If you're a note taker, here's what you can write down. We rest in God's promises, provision, and protection in our lives by trusting in Elohim over experts. We rest in God's promises, provision, and protection in our lives by trusting in Elohim over experts. So in real time, it, 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 we have to admit, it does make sense, right? It makes sense to follow the advice of a trained professional rather than a tired prisoner. Anybody disagree with that? It just makes sense. But God has a way of using the foolish to confound the wise. That's what he does. Right? See, Paul isn't just someone on a boat who's been chained. Paul is God's servant on a boat who's been chosen. Paul is here on purpose and with purpose. And soon everybody else will see that purpose. And some of us, though, we're very much like the centurion. We try our best to rely on our own worldly or common logic and expertise, but There are just some things that knowledge doesn't know and intellect can't make sense of. For us, faith, for those of us who believe in the true and living God, faith looks like trusting Adonai over our own accolades. It looks like trusting the Savior over our own status. It's not easy, but it looks like trusting the triune God over the titles we've been given. It doesn't mean that we aimlessly and ignorantly drift off into a faith that has no actual footing. Uh, Pastor Tracy talked about that last week, so I won't belabor the point, but our faith does have historical significance. There were over 500 eyewitnesses of Christ's crucifixion, and throughout history, that singular moment is still producing tangible fruit. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing because of the singular moment. Our faith has historical footing. So this centurion, he, he trusted what he knew. Let this be a lesson us all. If we're in any position of influence, we have a responsibility to lead in a way that is most consistent with God's commands rather than our own conclusions. Centurion chose to listen to the person that he thought was most qualified rather than the person most connected to the qualifier. And in doing so, it ended up causing tremendous discomfort and and real danger to almost 300 people. Leaders, we're responsible to lead and, and we'll be held accountable for every decision that we make. Let that seep into your heart, seep into your soul, seep into your mind. Trust in God isn't something, though, that you pretend to have, right? It's not something you pretend to have. It's, it's something that you practice. 
Like, that means that there'll be moments that are so uncomfortable that it may feel a little difficult to practice our faith. I think of Martha in uh, John 11. She and her sister uh, Mary, they would get word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus is deathly ill. Uh, Martha, she has faith. She has a, a real faith, right? She trusts that Jesus can heal her brother, which is why they go out of their way to get word to him. But Jesus stays where he was for a couple more days before heading to Lazarus. And when he finally does, Lazarus is dead. I'm blown away by how Martha's trust in Jesus is so rooted. I think about Martha and her response to Jesus. It reminds me of my mama, right? She, she walks right up to Jesus when he gets there. She storms up. If you had been here, my brother would still be alive. That probably would have been a little more neck rolling and, you know. But this is basically what she said. If you had been here, my brother would still be alive. That's faith. That's trust. She clearly believes that Jesus can do what she asked him to do. Yeah? No? Why would you say that to somebody who you didn't believe could do what you said he could do? She said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But then she said something that she said, yet even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. How amazing is that? Right? Martha's uh, in one of the darkest moments of her life, and yet she resolves to trust in what she knows about Jesus. That's faith. Rather than trusting in how she feels towards Jesus, that's frustrated. Right? She doesn't allow her frustration to force her faith to flee. She trusts. I would say make a habit of asking yourself when you're experiencing hard times, difficult times, do I trust that God is who he says he is? Do I really trust that he is who he says he is? Even in this situation that I'm in right here, this one, this really bad, yucky, terrible situation, is God who I say that he is? Do I really believe that? And if the answer is yes, then take the uncomfortable step to trust in what you know about him. Because we rest in God's promises, provision, and protection in our lives by trusting Elohim over experts, even our own expertise. Moving along, uh, I, I love the Bible because uh, it doesn't gloss over people's pettiness. It, it, just, it just doesn't. The, the Bible is a historical book. It, it doesn't try to cut corners. It doesn't try to uh, make everything nice and neat with a bow. It just tells you what happened. It's giving the accounts of people's lives. I think if scripture was written today, uh, church culture is so sterilized that many important details and realities about the humans who lived at that time, especially people who were heralded as saints, they would just be missed, right? We would gloss over everything. Uh, but we see in the verses following Paul's warning, things are really starting to take a turn for the worse now. A huge storm arises, and verse 20 says, all hope that they will be saved was beginning to fade away. All of their hope, it was fading away. And then in verse 21, Paul starts to speak, and he says these words. You men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you, take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives but only of the ship. For last night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me, and he said, don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar, and indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are selling with you. So take courage, men, because I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. It warms my soul here, friends and family, 
okay? And I'm, I'm, I get it, I'm a little crazy. But it just, it warms my soul here to see Paul start his discourse with a nice, I told you so. <laughs> Am I alone? Don't, please. I know I'm not alone. I'm not King Petty, but I might be Prince. I'm right there. It's, it's so good to, to see that, right? Because he really told them. He said, don't do that. But they didn't listen to him. They listened to the expert, and now look where they are, right? That's how most parents will say, I told you not to do that, and now look at where you are, mister. You're going to stay there, blah, blah, blah. He tells them, I told you so. Uh, but Paul isn't just petty, right? He's also an apostle. And as an apostle, he has another message for them, and he shares it with this beautiful and affirming promise of protection, not just for himself, but also for all those who are with him. And so hear me, Christian believer, image bearer of the true and living God, you will not always be the most popular person in the room, but you will always be a really, really important person in the room. Right? If you are a child of God, you have unique access to the ear of the God, the creator of the entire universe. Do you understand that? Like, do you get that you actually have access to the one who said, let there be and there was? That's what prayer is. We're petitioning the God who literally makes things change, who speaks things out of nothing. That blows my mind. I know sometimes we can live in a way that makes things really, really mundane, but if we hold back our own uh, commonalities about who God is, man, it can really, really move us to some really deep worship when we consider how gracious God has been to us in allowing us to be as close to him as we are. Paul here, he, uh, he speaks a word that I, I imagine must have felt like a warm blanket to those who are with him. Now, Paul, he isn't stressed. Uh, he's not nervous. He's, he's resting in God. He's resting in God. He's charged up because... When you're connected to the right source, you never have to worry about losing power. After Paul shares this, re, uh, this really hearty word, uh, it seems that uh, some of the soldiers, they still didn't really believe what he said. So they, they tried to make an escape for it. And uh, Paul then warns the centurion that uh, uh, you're only going to live if everybody stays on the boat. And so the centurion makes a very wise decision and said, get everybody back on this boat. Self-preservation, right? He, he makes sure if, if I'm going to live, then all of you need to be here. So he, he, he works it out. He gets everybody back on the boat. This time he honors Paul's suggestion. And the scriptures detail that uh, they've been without food now for about 14 days. 14 days without food. And so Paul tells them, hey, eat, because you're not going to die on this voyage. And in verse 35, we see Paul then break bread and intentionally give thanks to God right in the midst of his literal storm. Right in the midst of his storm. And even before all those who are with him, Paul, he's saying these words, but now he's beginning to put some, he's putting some, some, some metal to what he's saying. He begins to break bread and he begins to eat. How could you eat at a time like this, right? You ever seen someone who eats when they're afraid? No, it's weird. Don't do that. But Paul isn't afraid. That's why he just breaks the bread. And then he gives thanks to God. And this leads me to my second point. If you're still taking notes, it says, we rest in God's promises, provision, and protection in our lives. By giving thanks in all things. We rest in God's promises, provision, and protection in our life by giving thanks in all things. Now, as I said earlier, this was, if this was Paul's cruise experience, uh, things were not going particularly ideal. There's so much that he could have been grumbling about. But instead, Paul focuses his energy towards gratitude. What a convicting and encouraging example. Right? Paul is demonstrating to us exactly what it looks like to rest in God. 
He's resting in God. He gives thanks to God. It's a little hard to worry or complain when you're committed to giving thanks. Like honest thanks, not facetious thanks, but heartfelt and meaningful gratitude. For the married couples in here, it's a little hard to grumble and complain about your spouse when you're constantly focusing your intention towards thanking God for all of the many great things that exist about them. It's a little hard to say, Lord, they're not washing dishes. They're leaving laundry over here. When you say thank you for them being a provider, thank you for them being faithful to me. God, thank you for them blessing me with their love and their generosity and their kindness. The small things begin to fail in comparison when we are rightly focused. Gratitude over grumbling, family. Somebody say gratitude over grumbling. Yeah, you should tweet that. You should put it on Facebook or something. Despite what things look like, uh, we're in a pandemic or fresh out of a pandemic. There's monkeypox. What is going on? What is going on? Where are we? What a crazy time we're in. Many people are experiencing family turmoil, relationship turmoil. Uh, There's vocational uncertainty, even though there's this thought that there's endless jobs everywhere, there's still people who are looking to work. There's sickness, depression, you name it. But when we are living in continual remembrance of the amazing things God has done and is doing in our lives, we don't allow our frustrations to force our faith to flee. We don't allow our frustrations, we don't allow our circumstances to cause us to shrink back. No, we run to God. Because God is faithful and he's proving his faithfulness over and over and over. It's God proving his faithfulness to you. I mean, all of us being here this morning is a testimony that God is proving his faithfulness to us. We stand committed and rooted in who God is, in who God is, in who God is, even when we don't fully understand what God's doing. We'll be able to, uh, like Paul Thank God for all of his provision and protection in our lives, even when things are raging, just going crazy all around us. I'm reminded of a story where a little boy was asked to pray for dinner. Uh, Before he bowed his head uh, to pray, he looked at the dish, and he closed his eyes, and he said, Lord, uh, I don't like the looks of it, but I'll thank you and eat it anyway. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, it says, give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It says, give thanks in some things. Is that what it says? No, what does it say? Give thanks in in all things and everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, it's easy to give thanks for the times and things we experience that feel good to us and that we can easily recognize are beneficial. But resting in God looks like resolving with everything in us that if God has allowed this meal to come across my table, even if it does not look the best, I trust that it is for my best because I believe based on his reputation that God always means me well. Yeah. I don't want meatloaf surprise. I don't want tuna casserole. But if God is providing it, he knows what I need. And I'm going to trust in him, moment by moment, minute by minute. So Paul told them in verse 26 uh, that they would have to run the ground or basically just crash into land. And here they've done just that now. They've crashed. The, the, the boat is on the coast now. Um, the prisoners are um, 
at risk because the guards are afraid that because they're now crashed that they're going to escape. So the guards are saying, let's kill them all. Let's get rid of everybody. Um, they were afraid. They knew that if a single prisoner had escaped, then uh, their lives would be the cost of that kind of mistake. Um, so they made the suggestion, hey, just kill them all, kill them all. However, uh, it seems the centurion has learned his lesson and he again chooses to side with seeing to it that Paul gets to his appointment. Uh, and this is my last point. We rest in God's promises, provision, and protection in our lives because he never fails. He never fails. It doesn't matter if somebody comes up with this idea to try to cause harm to us. If we are in God, his plan for us will always trump the enemy's attempts to derail us. God does not fail. He just doesn't fail. If the guards would have been able to kill Paul because of their fear of escape, we would have certainly had to admit that something is not going quite as planned here. But it didn't happen. And although it would have been a very common thought that the guards would want to spare their own lives by taking the prisoners, the Lord had other plans because he does not fail. God shows his might yet again by ensuring that what he has already said will come to pass. He says, not a hair on your heads will be lost. God does not fail. No matter how bleak things look, no matter how weird they smell, no matter how, no matter how awkward they feel, if God has said it, we can put our bottom dollar on it because God is reliable. God does not fail. I imagine that Paul is sitting there, he's watching everybody go berserk, and he's thinking, God said it. Have no reason to fear because God does not fail. And so I encourage you the same way this morning. Maybe you're in a peer circle. Maybe you're in area of expertise where you are the outlier. And sometimes it's looking like everybody around you are going crazy. And they're expecting you to respond the same way. But I encourage you to find your resolve in the risen Savior. Put your hope continuously in Jesus the one who got up from the grave on your behalf, the God who does not fail. Death thought it won when Christ went down into the grave. Death thought it had accomplished its purpose, but Christ got up from the grave, proving that death had no power over him because God does not fail. From Genesis to Revelation, we see this same occurrence of God's might displayed despite what the world may say. God does not fail. There's a poem by a guy named J.S. Baxter, and it says these words. It's a little long, but I'll read it anyway. It says, he never fails the soul that trusts in him. Though disappointments come and hope burns dim, he never fails. Though trials surge like stormy seas around, though testings fierce like ambush foes abound, yet this my soul with millions more has found, he never fails. He never fails. He never fails the soul that trusts in him. Though angry skies with thunderclouds grow grim, he never fails. Though icy blasts, life's fairest flowers lay low. Though earthly springs of joy all cease to flow, yet still and tis true, with millions more I know, he never fails. He never fails. He never fails the soul that trusts in him. Though sorrow's cup should overflow the brim, he never fails. Though off the pilgrim way seems rough and long, I yet shall stand amid yon white robe throng, and there I'll sing with millions more this song. He never fails, 
He never fails. Belief, faith, trust. It looks crazy. By all logical human accounts, we have to admit that. Faith looks crazy. In our faith, we're called to forgive. To the world, forgiveness looks insane. Because faith and forgiveness is allowing one's debts to go unavenged, at least by you, and trusting that God will avenge it. Uh, a few years ago, I remember um, when the Charleston Nine were uh, murdered by the white supremacist Dylan Roof, uh, Pastor Matt, uh, he sent myself and Pastor Tracy and Mark Catlin and Pastor Tone, he sent us all out there to South Carolina. Um, it was an insane time. I remember we got off the plane and we landed uh, about a mile away from the church where the slayings had taken place and we just decided to walk. At 12 in the morning, we just walked to the church. And as we got there, the scene was, it was like something out of a movie. There was just zombies just walking around, just overcome by this somberness and this depression and this, this real just, I'll never forget what I felt walking um, to that church. Um, but even with all of the sorrow that existed there and all of the frustration and all the heartache and all the disbelief for what had actually occurred, we were invited to a memorial service. And as we sat there, family member after family member after family member after family member, they all came up and they spoke and they would say the same thing. I'm choosing to forgive that young man. And I remember sitting there and my soul was encouraged because I understood what was happening. But there was a human logic that's like, that doesn't make sense. And as I went online and I'm looking at people's responses, people were saying the same thing, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. These people should be looking for justice. Forgiveness doesn't trump justice. Justice is God's department. Forgiveness is ours. It didn't make sense in that moment. And it sometimes still won't make sense to a lot of people. But if you're in Christ, you understand forgiveness because you've experienced it. You recognize that you have sinned against a holy and righteous God in ways that you could never make atonement for on your own. And God has given you what you do not deserve, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Our limited human perspective can and should never force us to quiver in fear of other people's or even our own doubts, our own fear, our own disbelief. It should never bully us into living in a way that seems more sensible to our limited minds than submitting to God's limitless wisdom and omniscient nature. God has no limits. There's nothing too hard for him, and yes, that includes empowering you and I to live a life that's faith-filled and not fear-focused. Paul sat in the middle of a tumultuous situation, and he continued to trust God. He trusted God's promises, he trusted God's provision, and he rested in God's protection. That's the call for all of us who are in Christ, because God does not fail. Father, we thank you that you are a God worth trusting. 
that you've proven yourself to be faithful time and time again. We have so many countless stories and examples from other saints throughout the scriptures, but even in our own lives, God, you've resurrected us to new hope. Sometimes uh, life has a way of causing us to forget what you've done. As Pastor Matt would say, we get gospel amnesia. But we thank you for reminding us of your truth and giving us moments like this where we can be reminded to rest in you. When the world is trying to cause us stress, would you allow us to look to Jesus and find rest? We thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.